How many of you guys saw a Jesus Revolution movie this last week? Man, we had a great representation. I went and saw it a second time Sunday because I heard a bunch of coastliners going and like 99% of the theater was coastliners. Like we represented. It was like second service. It was really fun. But all that to say is, you know, Pastor Chuck would always go like, this is God's word, you know, and, and like he'd, he'd encourage people, open it with me. You know, we're going to go through it verse by verse. And that's something that's a distinctive of Calvary Chapel, which we're affiliated with. And that's what we do. So we're going verse by verse through the book of Acts right now. So go ahead and turn to Acts 26. Finished up 25 last week. And along the lines of what I'm going to talk about, I just want to share um a little application. So I had a vision for my life that was pretty consistent throughout my youth. I would imagine that some of you young people in here have like a vision for your life. And that that vision consisted of being a doctor from very young. Okay. And so when I graduated from high school, I went to college with that intent. I did the pre-med program at Southern Oregon University. Go Raiders. Emily knows what I'm talking about. And because they had a really good pre-med program. So I went down there and I came to find out my freshman year shortly after embarking on that journey that I was not very good at memorizing facts. And that is pretty much all you do as a doctor. <laughs> Memorize body parts and, and muscles and And all these terms, and I was not very good at that. And come to find out a little later that I was also pretty squeamish around blood, which doesn't go very well with being a doctor either, all right, because that comes with that profession. So I started exploring other options, and I heard about the Air Force ROTC program uh, or officer training candidate program uh, at Oregon State University. And I mean, any of us men that were young and saw the movie Top Gun all wanted to be Maverick when we grew up. So flying jets for a living as an officer in the Air Force did not sound that bad. And so my vision changed and it shifted and I decided to pursue that, that, and and I transferred up to Oregon State, went up there and I was in that program for a year and right before I was about to get sent off to officer training school, I had to have a physical And because my medical records said that I had asthma as a three-year-old, they flunked me or basically just, you know, said, nope, you you can't be in the Air Force. And after getting multiple letters from doctors saying he doesn't have asthma, he's fine and acing all their physical fitness tests, they still would not give me a waiver to go into the Air Force. So again, that door was closed. And I had to shift my vision and I started exploring other options. And whereas I wasn't good at memorizing facts, what I found in those first two years of school that were kind of ended up being aimless. But what I found out was I was really good at math or problem solving. And I had some friends that were doing the engineer, an engineering program at OSU, uh, specifically construction engineering, which was a a mix of civil engineering and, and business management. And I'm like, well, that sounds cool. I'll go ahead and pursue that. And I ended up sticking with that and eventually graduated in 2002 with a bachelor of science majoring in engineering and minoring in business administration. And I worked in that career field for 17 years, managing construction projects or project management, basically. But during my time during college, a great thing happened in that I got saved. And along that time of getting saved, the Lord slowly but surely started giving me a different vision for my life, much different than I originally planned that eventually turned into me taking over as the full-time pastor at this church about five and a half years ago. And I'm sharing this with you, my history of my life, if you will, because the Lord had a very different vision for my life than I did. And when I was trying to follow my vision... It felt like I was directionless in a lot of ways and that I kept hitting roadblocks in the things that I thought I should be doing. And my vision never really amounted to the fulfillment or purpose that I was hoping it would achieve for me. But when it came to following the Lord's will for me, he just guided me right into it. 
And that doesn't mean at all that there wasn't adversity or hard things along the way, but because it was what the Lord wanted me to do, he brought me through those difficulties. They didn't end up being roadblocks. They didn't stop what he wanted me to do. And I found more purpose and meaning in the things he's called me to do for him in my life than any of my own direction that I tried to follow. The Lord having a specific calling for each of us that he wants to give us the vision for and lead us into if we're willing to let him so that as Romans 12, 2 says, we can experience his good, pleasing, and perfect will for us. And today, we're going to see Paul recount the vision the Lord gave him in life. Paul also thinking that he knew what was best for himself prior to being saved, but having that vision drastically changed by Jesus after he got saved, a vision that sent Paul into a complete opposite direction where than where he was heading before Jesus came into his life and led to a greater purpose for him than anything he could have implemented or imagined for himself. Amen? All right. So, brief recap. We finish up chapter 25, and where we left off is Paul's brought into this big amphitheater in Caesarea because if you remember the new Roman governor, Festus, he doesn't know what to charge him with. And so he brings Agrippa, King Agrippa, who was very familiar with Judaism and Jewish customs to kind of hear Paul along with all these other uh, prominent people in the city and, and King Agrippa's sister Bernice uh, for the pur- purpose of questioning Paul and maybe hoping to figure out something that he actually was guilty of that he could charge him with when he sends him to Caesar because Paul had requested to basically be sent to Caesar in Rome to appeal his him being held in, in prison because nothing was getting solved in Caesarea. So uh, uh, Festus is, is, is hoping that he can figure out what exactly Paul's guilty of here. And that's where we're going to pick it up in chapter 26. So let me pray one more time and then we'll go through the word. Lord God, again, we just want to be ready to receive what it is you want to say to us today, Lord. And especially regarding this, this vision, Lord, you gave Paul a vision. Your, your word gives us a vision for what you entail or want our lives to entail, like what you want us to do for you, the things that you want to accomplish in us. It tells us all these things. And so, Lord, we don't want to be missing out on that. And we know that we're prone to get distracted, to, to go off in different directions that we think look good. And you're so good to be patient with us. You're so good to bring us back when we go off on track. But we just want to be receptive of this direction that you've given us so that we're that that's where our aim is, Lord. And we're experiencing everything that you have for us and not missing out on any of it. So I just pray even now, Lord, that as we're going through your word, if if somehow we've lost direction. Last week, we talked about making sure our focus was devoted to being on you. This week, Lord, what I'm sensing you're ministering to us is is making sure our direction is in line with yours. Lord, if it's gone off track, would you just reveal that to us even now and show us those things that aren't in line with what you would have for us so we don't miss out on any of your good, pleasing, and perfect will, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting in verse 1 in chapter 26, it says, So Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. And then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. And I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense today against all the accusations of the Jews, especially because you are familiar with all the customs and controversies of the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to listen patiently. So Paul, he's excited to give his testimony before this audience of people and answer any questions they might have because he understands that, whoa, there's a whole lot of people here. They're important people. They have influence over people. He's especially excited to share in front of Agrippa because he understands that this guy knows Judaism. So he probably has some understanding of the Old Testament, which was the Bible back then. It was God's word. And if he had the understanding of the Old Testament, then he could hopefully be able to explain Jesus, who the Old Testament speaks of, the coming Messiah, to an easier degree to him, all right? So he's excited. And one thing I just want to point out, note there in um, verse 3, where it says, therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. 
Now, that must mean that he intended to take some time in teaching. And I want to point that out because you guys like to point out I'm a long-winded pastor. I'm not the only one, all right? Paul is too. So I just like to point those out when I see that. Now, so now we're going to see Paul share his testimony with Agrippa. And the rest of those listening, Paul's going to start with sharing what he was like before Jesus came into his life. So he says here in verse 4, My manner of life from my youth spent from the beginning among my own nation and in Jerusalem is known by all the Jews. They have known for a long time if they are willing to testify that according to the strictest party of our religion, that's Judaism, I have lived as a Pharisee. So Paul was born in Tarsus, which was several hundred miles away from Jerusalem, but he came to live in Jerusalem at a young age. That's what the Bible tells us, what history tells us. And he wasn't just a faithful Jew, all right? Not just a devoted Jew, but rather he was a member of the strictest sect of Jews, the Pharisees, who were known as the most orthodox Jews, the most traditional Jews, the most religious They kept the law to the strictest degree. And those same Jews that were making accusations against him now also could testify this. He's saying, these guys know who I was. They knew I was like this. So they should be able to come here and tell you that it confirmed these things. And he says in verse six, and now I stand here on trial because of my hope in the promise made by God to our fathers, to which are 12 tribes, this would be the 12 tribes of Israel, Hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. This promise Paul's referencing is the coming Messiah, which the Old Testament spoke of, who the Jews were eagerly waiting for. And he goes on to say, and for this hope, I am accused by the Jews. O king, why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? So again, Paul, knowing that Agrippa had Jewish or understanding of Judaism and knew the word of God to some degree would have known that like their greatest hope was this coming Messiah they were waiting for. And so he knew that he'd have an understanding of that. He'd understand what he's talking about. And what he's pointing out is this is what I'm on trial for that that coming Messiah is Jesus Christ that I've been, I've been basically preaching that. And that's why they're so upset with me. He's also points out that this his belief in a resurrection resurrected jesus or the resurrection of the dead that shouldn't be shocking to anyone either if they know god's word because god's word the old testament talks about god raising people from the dead and it actually talks about that we're going to go be with him after we die in the afterlife in heaven so he's like this shouldn't surprise anyone in verse 9 he says i myself was convinced that i ought to do many things in opposing the name of jesus of nazareth and i did so in jerusalem I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That implying that he was part of the Sanhedrin if he was voting. So he was a part of this religious group that actually is bringing these accusations against them. In verse 11, it says, And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blasphemy. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So... He's basically just reiterating, hey, at one point, I was vehemently against Christianity. I was involved in the relentless persecution of believers. I chased them wherever they went. I imprisoned some. I sentenced others to death. I even tortured some to the point of getting them to renounce their faith. And he goes on now to tell his audience of how he was changed by Jesus. He's first talked about who he was before Jesus. Now he's going to talk about how Jesus changed him. So it says in verse 12, in this connection, or as I was persecuting Christians and chasing after them, in this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. And at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Now, if you don't know what goads are, they were sticks that farmers would use to kind of prod their oxen if they were being stubborn to get them to go where they want and go in submission. So in essence, what what this voice who is Jesus is implying, he's like, why are you fighting against me, Paul? It's like, I'm trying to show you the truth here. Stop fighting against me. 
And it says in verse 15, and I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So sent out by the same religious leaders who were now making accusations against Paul. He's on his way to Damascus to go after Christians. All right. And this should sound somewhat familiar if you've been tracking through Acts with us, because he recounted this in Acts 9. This actually happened. Now he's remembering it and he's adding details. And on his way, there's a visible light brighter than the sun or that was blinding. Is it Acts 9 tells us it literally blinded him for a time till he was healed. But it comes from the sky, knocks him and the other people down to the ground. And Paul hears this audible voice that basically says, Saul, Saul, that was his name before the Lord changed it to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul instantly recognizing that this was the Lord's voice, Voice, as verse 15 says, even though he didn't know who the Lord was before, Jesus makes it clear to him that that is in fact who is talking to him. And it's actually who he's persecuting in verse 15. And in that seven word response by Jesus, that Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul's life was changed forever because the Lord made it clear to him three things. Number one, that Jesus was alive and not dead. Number two, that Jesus was Lord or God. And number three, that Paul had in in fact been living against God rather than living for him. Okay? And at that point, Paul had a chance, a choice to make. He was either going to continue to live in sin or against God. Basically, that's what sin is. If you're new to church, if this is your first time here and you don't know what sin is, sin is basically when we do the opposite of what God says is good and right. And his word tells us what is good and right and what is bad. And so Paul had this choice to either continue to live in sin or against God, being against him, that's what he was, or repent of his sin and go toward God through faith in his son, Jesus. These being the same truths that every single one of us were presented with before placing our faith in Christ. Or if you're visiting today and you haven't made that choice, these are the truths you're being presented with right now. Number one, that Jesus is God. Only God, and he proved it by dying and being raised from the dead, because only God has the power over death, all right? So he's God, and he died for our sins on the cross, but rose again, so he's very much alive now. And in our sin, we're living against God, but through faith in Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, we can be forgiven of that sin and made right with God. And now that you've heard that, or when we heard that, at that point, we had a choice to make. We either believe in that truth, receive it, or we reject it and continue on in our sin. And then uh, Jesus went on to tell Paul in verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet. For I have appeared to you for this purpose to appoint you as a servant in witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you, or the idea is protecting you from your people, that would be the Jews, and from Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins in place among those who are sanctified, in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So, Paul must have been saved here. We know it from Acts 9, but he was saved here because now Jesus is basically like, get up on your feet. I got work for you to do, which is a great example for us in that some of us would sit there and say, I'm a new believer. I can't be used by God. No, none of us could be used by God to do his great things. The fact that we're all insufficient is what makes us usable by God. And the more you understand that no matter how long you've been a Christian, the more humble you are and relying on God, the greater he'll be able to use you. And so he tells Paul, I got stuff for you to do right now. And he lays out the specific plan or vision that he had for him in verses 16 through 18, which consisted of four things. And I want you to really note these because this same vision for him is the same vision God has for us. The first thing is he tells him to serve him or be a servant of the Lord in verse 16. Some translations, they actually use the word minister in place of servant in verse 16. You guys might say, no, you're the minister up there. Nope. Every single one of us has been called or appointed to be a minister 
of the Lord. The Greek word used there means under rower. If you guys ever seen like maybe old Viking movies, those guys that would sit in the belly of the ship and do the rowing like the slaves and stuff. That's kind of the idea of that word. Basically, they were unseen and unappreciated, but they were the, ultimately the ones that were responsible for moving the ship. Okay, And so too with us, through your faith in Jesus, you've been commissioned to be his servant so that he can use you to move the ship or to accomplish his good, pleasing and perfect will on this earth as you live for him. Jesus tells us this himself in John 15, 16. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you. Isn't that a great thing to remember? God doesn't just love you. He likes you. He actually chose you. All right. Were you ever on the playground and didn't get chosen to be on the team or got chose last? That's not the case for God's kingdom. All right. He chose you. Okay. And he says, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Christian, you've been appointed to be a minister of the Lord so that you do his work that has eternal value in meaning lasts forever. That's purpose. We're all looking for that. And God's given you that. And it's not so that you can be served or seen and appreciated, but rather so that God can be glorified or seen by others and appreciated through your service to them as unto him. And that right there is completely opposite of what this world teaches you. See, we're not in the kingdom of this world. We're in God's kingdom. And our flesh in this world tries to tell you, you should seek to be served by others. But Jesus, who's our ultimate example, says no. He says in Matthew 20, 25 through 28, but Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lorded over their people. And officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man, that be Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our example. God in the flesh Humbled himself to live as a man and die for our sins. That He served us. That was to our benefit. And that's how he says to be to others. You know how you are, you know you're being a good servant? Do you know? When people treat you like a servant, you know you're being a good servant. I remember struggling with this um, at my last church before I came here. This is way back in the day, early on in my Christian faith. Because I felt like I was being asked to do a lot. Maybe you guys, some of you guys feel that way, okay? Like, I just felt like I was being asked to do everything. And my pastor just sat me down and he said, Chris, first of all, you're not expected to do everything. You can do some things, but you're not expected to do everything. And those some things are what you need to work out with God as far as what are the things you're called to. But let me be an encouragement to you. He said, the reason people ask you to do things it's because they see you're a servant. And that is how you want to be seen for Jesus. Because he was a servant. So maybe even some of you guys feel that way now. You feel like everyone always comes to you to ask you, good job. Because that is the way we're supposed to be in the kingdom of God. That is the way Jesus tells us to be, all right? And we have to consider our ways regarding this often. Or check our motives. Because our natural tendency can be to expect others to do things for us. And then when they don't, we become disillusioned. We get upset. Oh, they didn't reach out to me. They didn't help me when they should have helped me. But that's not the way Jesus says to be, all right? No, you will. You should experience that in the family of God if everyone is having a servant heart. But you don't expect it. We aim to serve others and not be served. But Jesus, he specific, and he's the one that told us to do this, right? To have this attitude, not of what can others do for me, but what can I do for others? And then when we're willing in faith to ask him for help for that, he gives us the Holy Spirit to change our attitude. So we have that. And here's the thing. That attitude will drastically for the better uh, fix and, and, and make awesome so many different relationships in your life. All right. Here, let me give you an example. Your marriage. So often, well, I'll just make a bold statement here. 
the root of all the problems we have in our marriages is not having this proper attitude, right? Because usually it stems from they're not doing what I want. They're not serving me the way I'd like. They're not acting. It's all this attitude of like, what can you do for me? Now, if I flip that in the power of the Holy Spirit and go like, what can I do for you? Then I'm not focused on what they're not doing for me. And that solves the problem. Amen? And that might sound offensive to some of you, but don't shoot the messenger. I didn't say it. God said it. Okay? So you could take it up with him. But this is the, this is the countercultural living. This is what it looks like to follow Jesus and be like him, all right? This is what he tells us to do. And while we faithfully serve the Lord in the things he's called us to, in the power of his Holy Spirit, we will glorify him or reflect his nature to others, and we will be his witness, as Acts 1.8 tells us. And that's the next point I want to jump to, uh, or the next call that God had for Paul's life and ours, and that is number two, to be a witness for him, as verse 16 says. So first, it's to be a servant, then to be a witness as we serve him, okay? Specifically, to be a witness of the things Jesus had shown or revealed to him or would show or reveal to him, as it says there in uh, verse 16, all right? You see, the call of a Christian is never to try to manufacture or create an experience with God, but rather to experience God through our relationship with him and then share what we've experienced and witnessed about him with others. Isn't that what a witness does in a courtroom? They're not supposed to manufacture a testimony. That's illegal, all right? They simply are supposed to just share what they've heard or saw. And so too with us, the Lord doesn't ever call us to be an attorney that that is arguing for him or a judge to decide the fate of others, but rather to just be a witness telling others of what the Lord has done for us. And through our faith in Jesus, basically all of your messes in life have now turned into messages of redemption. All of your tests have become testimonies and all of your hardships have become opportunities to give hope to other people. And the ultimate goal or purpose of our service to the Lord as a witness for him is number three, to open people's eyes, as it says in verse 18, all right? So we're called to be a witness and a servant, and the purpose of that is to, number three, open people's eyes. Now, helping the blind see is one of the specific things Jesus said he came to do for us in Luke 4, 18. And if you know your Bibles, you know that literally Jesus did open blind people's eyes. But there's another type of blindness that the Bible talks about, and it's called spiritual blindness. And it's basically our inability to understand or unwillingness to acknowledge our need for Jesus to come into our lives and help us understand what's right and wrong and to obey what he says in his word is right. And we were all once blind. All right, to seeing our need for Jesus to save us from our sin and, to, and the damage the sin in our lives was causing us. And this is due to this sinful nature that every single one of us is born with. Some, some people in the world would say that all people are born inherently good and then they learn to be bad through like whatever they're exposed to as they're growing up. Now, if you, whatever you're exposed to most certainly has an effect on you, but that's just not true. It's actually, and anyone here that's had a kid born as a baby would know that there's nothing inherently good about that baby. I mean, we love them to death, but were they not so small and helpless, they would destroy everything and everyone in their path that got in the way of what they wanted. All right? So we have to, in a sense, train them like... No, no, no. You don't tear things apart when you don't get your way. You don't get angry and violent. Like, those are all... They're sinful. All right? So we're all born with that trait. And John tells us about this in John three seventeen through 19. He says, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, his son being Jesus, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. 
But anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world. Now, that light he's talking about, this is Jesus and the good news, God's word that he's brought to us, the gospel. It has exposed the darkness of our sin and our need to be saved from it. But it goes on to say, but people love the darkness or their sin more than the light for their actions are evil. So our flesh causes us to love darkness or what God says is bad and evil and choose it over Jesus and what God says is right and good. And this leads people to choose not to believe in the good news. And if they acknowledge it, because the reality is if they acknowledge their need for Jesus to save them, then they're acknowledging that they have sin in their life. Okay. Or things that aren't good that they need to be saved from, which means that some of those things, because they're bad, they're, they're, they have to get rid of them or they have to stop doing them. And they don't want to do that because they just don't trust that basically what God has for them is better. And Satan does everything he can to feed that sinful flesh of ours and keep us blind to our need to Jesus to save us from it. Paul talks about this as one of the reasons that not everyone believes the gospel. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Satan, who is the God of this world, understand that's a little g. He's not equal to God, but God has allowed him to have influence over the world for a time. But Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of god now i want you to note that paul says there in second corinthians 4 4 it's 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 the minds of people that satan tries to deceive into being blinded basically as i said he tricks you into believing that what god what he has for you or what your flesh thinks you want is somehow better than what god has for you that's what he did to eve back in genesis 3 in the garden did god really say that god knows that you'll, you'll be like him he tries to make it sin sound better than it is and he uses that same tactic, tactic with us today. But God has given us his word to, re, to combat those lies, to show us what actually is good and right in truth, uh, if we're willing to listen to it and receive it. And I also want you to note that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that it is specifically those that choose not to believe who remain blinded by the enemy. Basically, they refuse to believe that God has something better and they love darkness or their sin instead, thereby allowing Satan to trick their minds into being blinded to the truth. Now, if you don't want to be blinded to the truth, you have that choice. In faith, you simply believe what Jesus says, that you don't know everything you think you know. That you need him to come into your life and show you truth from falseness and to help you understand what is good and right. And he's, he'll come in and show you that truth. And, and, and he said that's one of the things he came to do in this world. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's only one truth, and it's found in Jesus. He's the one that exposes the deceptions of our flesh and the enemy so we can truly see. Now, some people would want to say, and you might have heard this before, that I will believe when I see. Like, basically, I want to see like undeniable evidence that God's real or Jesus is real and then I'll believe in him. And the reality is it's never a question of evidence, all right? Romans 1 tells us that all the evidence you need that God is real is in creation, okay? And here's the kicker. The world has you trying to believe that somehow science disproves God. It doesn't disprove him at all. There's a whole theological study called apologetics that talks about how logically scientifically philosophically all of the bible makes sense it always proves itself and i i don't have time to go into all that right now but if you ever want resources like good apologetic stuff i can point you in that direction but it always proves itself to be true all right and so the evidence is all around us but here's the thing here's where we come into play as god god's witnesses okay as far as opening people's eyes because all the evidence that people need to see that Jesus is real is found in your testimony of them. Each one of you, just look to your left or right, all right? Because your testimony authenticates 
your changed life. Okay? This room is full of people with changed lives that only could have happened with God's help. And that's how we're witnesses. Because like Paul, who was very blind, right? And was going totally opposite of God, persecuting the actual people of God. He went from that to being one that's willing to get stoned and beaten and even die to preach the good news that he was once against. That could only happen by God. Okay? He was the proof. His testimony was the witness for Jesus and how real he was. And that leads to the fourth and final point of this vision God gave Paul for his life. As the goal of people's eyes being opened is to, number four, turn around their lives. As verse 18 says. There's two kingdoms dwelling simultaneously on this earth. The kingdom of darkness that leads to death or separation from God for eternity that's ruled by Satan And then the kingdom of light that leads to eternal life in heaven with God that's ruled by the Lord. And every person on this earth is in either one of one of those two kingdoms at any given time. There's no neutral. All right. Basically, Jesus tells us this in Matthew 1230. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me. And anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. And you might say, well. I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I haven't believed in that, but I'm certainly not somebody that follows after Satan. That's just crack. No. Well, here's the thing. God tells you differently. Again, don't shoot the messenger. This is what God says. He says uh, in 2 Timothy 2, 25 through 26, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. That would be the good news about Jesus. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. If Jesus is not your king, if he's not your Lord, then you're currently a part of Satan's kingdom under his influence. Whether you admit it or not, that's the reality. And for those of us that have been saved out of that, this isn't a hard thing to understand. And I think anyone here that if you're being honest with yourself, it's not a hard thing to understand. Because I look at what my life was the first 20 years of it without Jesus. And it was selfish, self-indulgent, making decisions just to satisfy me and my wants and my desires, not in consideration of anyone. And at that time, I would have said I was a good person. You know, yeah, I never killed anyone. I never got thrown in prison, but I was horrible. I mean, it, 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 it's saddening to me to look at how I treated other people and all of the, the bad fallout that came from selfish decisions I was making and, and just trying to cover over all the pain that I had in my life with like drugs and alcohol that weren't helping anything, but just masking. That was my life before Jesus. It was a big mess. It, it involved everything that the Bible says Satan tries to do, and that is to kill you steal from you and destroy you that is what our life is in the kingdom of darkness all right and if you die is a part of that kingdom the final destination is a place god's word refers to as hell basically a a place where people spend eternity separated from god by their sin in that in what matthew 8 12 tells us will be darkness basically if you choose to live this life in darkness then we will spend eternity in darkness, separated from God, knowing that we could have been reconciled to him and being well aware of all the sin, all the bad things that I was just talking about that we did in our lives that we were, were condemned for. Like we, we don't have an opportunity to be forgiven of it like we do now through faith in Jesus. And that's not God's desire. His desire is that you know him through the truth, which is found in his son, Jesus and Jesus says that if you believe that truth in John eight thirty two, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth is going to open your eyes so that our lives can be turned around from living in the darkness of Satan's kingdom to living in the light of God's kingdom so that we can be forgiven our, of our sins and sanctified or set apart for God, as verse 18 says, to be used as his servants And witnesses to others that need their lives turned around as well. This being what God did for Paul. 
And now that he was saved, God wanted to do through Paul so that others could be saved. This wonderful gift of salvation being offered to Agrippa, to his sister Bernice, to Festus and anyone else there that was listening as Paul was faithfully serving the Lord as Jesus is witnessed by sharing his testimony with them. And this being the same thing that God did for each of us that have placed our faith in Jesus and that he wants to use you for to do in other people's lives. Amen? Amen. And what a privilege it is that God would use us to open people's eyes and turn their lives around. You look out there and we see how horrible the world is and how it's getting worse. And God has you here right now to open people's eyes to see the truth. To see what they really need and to save them from all that. That is why we're still here. Amen. In verse 19, Paul ends this. I'm just going to end this where he says, therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Or basically what he's saying is I was just doing every everything they're accusing me of. I'm just doing what God told me to do. This is the vision he gave for me after he saved me. And I'm just being faithful to carry it out. And as the worship team comes up here, I want to end on that note. Because as I alluded to in the beginning when I was praying, I felt like this was a very specific word the Lord had for us this week that even goes along with what he was telling us last week. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us, when people do not accept divine guidance, or some of your translations say, have vision, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law or God's word is joyful. Jesus gave Paul a vision of what he wanted Paul to do for him. And that gave Paul direction for his life from the moment he was first saved. Direction that he could be confident would be good and meaningful because it came from God. And we see him consistently follow this direction throughout his life. And as a result, he's confident and he's joyful no matter what his circumstances are. Right now, he's in way less than the desirable circumstances, sitting in prison in Caesarea, yet we see him just filled with the joy of the Lord, just being faithful to take advantage of every opportunity God gives him. And God has given us similar vision through his word, because whatever his word tells us to do is his vision for our lives. It's the direction God has given you for your life. And it's the only direction that you can know with 100% certainty, because Rest assured, any direction we go in, it's because we think it's for our good. We wouldn't do it otherwise. We don't purposely do things that we think are going to harm us. But the only direction or vision that you can know 100% is going to be good for you is what God has told you. All right? And you can be also 100% confident that it will have significant meaning and purpose or produce lasting fruit is jesus tells us in john 15 16 if you choose to follow it and just as with paul fulfilling god's good pleasing and perfect will for you is what will lead to the contentment and satisfaction and joy that every single one of us searches for in this life constantly and what you find is a follower of jesus the longer you follow him is that through all of your faithful service to him, you get far more out of it than you ever give. Remember, I've said this before, and let me just point this out again. When God tells you to be a servant, it's not for his benefit. He doesn't need us to do anything. He's God. He's got unlimited resources. He could do it all himself if he wanted to. If he tells us to do something, it's always for our benefit. And serving is the same way. Jesus tells us, that we're going to get way more back out of anything we do for God, any direction we follow, any vision we follow. In Luke 6, 38, he says, given you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. The amount you give will determine the amount you give back. The more we give to God, the more we follow God, the more we direct, we go the direction God wants us, the more we get out of life. The eternal life that matters. But that's the, the, the more you're faithful to do what God's telling you, the more you see this and the more you want to do it. Because you understand that everything you're looking for in all the wrong places is found in only one true place. And that's Jesus Christ. 
And it's when we aren't serving or following the Lord's will for our lives that guess what? They become dull. They become meaningless with no direction. Or as it says in Proverbs 9, 29, 18, we feel like we're running wild. The idea is aimless. You just keep hitting closed doors or things don't work out the way you think or they don't satisfy you the way they hope. That's our life in a nutshell when we're not in the Lord's vision for us or we're not following the direction he wants for us. And I believe the Lord's really asking us to consider our ways these last two weeks. Last week, if you remember, if you were here, you can listen to online if you weren't. Man, the, the word of the Lord was, where's your devotion? Are you focused on devoting your life to Jesus, first and foremost, he's the priority, your relationship with him. And then this week, what I believe the Lord is really saying is, is your vision lined up with his? Are you trying to live your own vision out in your life? And because of that, you feel discontent, dissatisfied, aimless. Are you fulfilling the vision the Lord has for your life? I mentioned this last week, how there's a lot of talk in the country right now about revival. And here's the thing. These two things are absolutely necessary and go hand in hand with revival. You can't have revival in your walk with the Lord if you aren't first devoted to your relationship with him, because everything comes out of that. And second, you're going in the vision or the direction he has for you. Because that's the only direction That'll be good, pleasing, and perfect. And that's all God wants for you. And if you're not going in that direction, he's being patient and doing everything he can to redirect you into that. And I don't know what that means for you individually, but I don't have to because the Holy Spirit's here today in this place. And that can mean a little something different for each of us. But what we're going to do is we'll have our prayer team around the room to pray with anyone that needs prayer, but we're going to have communion as well because the best way to make sure our focus is on the Lord, our devotions on the Lord, and, and we're seeking his direction is to always go back to the salvation he's given us. Because right there at that table in those elements, that piece of cracker that represents his body that was broken on the cross and that juice that represents his blood that atoned or paid for in full the price the just price that our sins deserve, the penalty for them. When we remember all that God gave for us, it gives us confidence in, in that anything he says for us, it absolutely has to be for our good. And there's no other person we want to be devoted to because there's nobody that's loved us and demonstrated it to that degree. And there's no other person we'd want to follow into their vision for us because of that love that was demonstrated for us. So during this song, as we praise God, you guys are going to come up and you're going to get the communion elements and you're going to talk to God. You're going to, if you've got sin in your life, you want to confess that knowing you're forgiven of it. But so there's no awkwardness. God knows about it. It's for our own benefit to remind ourselves, hey, we're forgiven. Lord, help me live in the freedom you give me. I don't want to live in that old life anymore. And we're going to talk to him and say, Lord, search my heart. I do feel directionless. Maybe you do. Maybe you feel aimless. Maybe you feel like you keep hitting walls or you're discontent. And it's like, Lord, what is it in my life? What What is wrong? Which wrong direction am I going in, Lord? Because I know this isn't what you intend for me. And you tell me when I lack wisdom in the book of James, I can ask and you'll give it to me. Lord, show me the direction you have. And God will lead you there if you really mean it. Maybe you came here today and you don't know the Lord is your savior. And you do. You're like, I don't, I, I've been looking for purpose. My life looks a lot like yours did before Jesus came into it. I just keep trying things and they never work out or they never satisfy me like I want or I'm not finding what I'm looking for. That's because there's only one way and there's one truth and there's one way to experience the life you're looking for and it's through Jesus and you came to the right place because he's here in this place and he's willing. If you're willing to repent of your sin, that means you're willing to go away from it and go to God and acknowledge I am a sinner. I'm not perfect. I understand that and I need to be forgiven of it so I can be made right with you. And I accept that gift you did for me, God, in sending your son to die in that cross so that my sin could be paid for. I don't understand it all, 
But that sounds good. I want that. I want you in my life. I need you in my life to be Lord because I suck lording over my own life. I'm not getting anywhere. I'm not experiencing the things I want. I need you. You can make that declaration today to God. And he will come into your life. He will send a spirit into you to change you, to make you new, to to release you of the bondage of your flesh, that nature So that you can actually not only understand his word and what's good and right, but actually do it under his power. And if you feel like you're kind of lost as to how to pray and accept Jesus as your savior, come up and get prayer. We've got people and we will pray with you and lead you in that prayer. Amen. Let's respond to the Lord. Let's not leave this place prematurely without giving the Lord a chance to speak to us. And correct us in anything that's wrong. Encourage us in where we need to be encouraged. Lead us into that vision he has for us if we somehow lost our way. Lord God, we thank you so much that you're so intimately involved in our lives. We thank you for the vision you've given us. Lord, I I think of how I was visionless. Really, I thought I had vision for my life. But as I shared, it just kept leading to dead ends. We're all, from the moment we're we can understand we're searching for purpose we're searching for meaning we want to do something that matters we want to do something that brings joy to our lives and contentment and satisfaction and if we're being honest our best efforts to achieve those things never ever achieve anywhere close to those things we're left wanting we're left Still trying to figure out what to do. We get to that thing that we spent so much time going after and it's not what we thought it would be. And it's an act of your grace to allow that in our lives because ultimately where that leads is to the one direction we should be going and that's you, Jesus. Where we will find everything we're looking for. And I'm so thankful that you brought me to that place when I was 20 years old. And I found everything even without understanding everything about you completely, because just being a new believer, but I found what I was looking for and I knew it. And I never looked away. And from that point on, you've just been constantly leading and directing and redirecting when I got off course. And I can honestly say, you've given me so much satisfaction, so much joy, so much purpose that I could never have had apart from you and I'm so thankful for it and you've done that for all my brothers and sisters in here and you want to do it for anyone in here today that needs to receive you as the Lord and Savior so have your way in us right now Lord show us if we've lost focus of your vision so we can get back on track maybe we're not even aware of it Lord but may your spirit just minister to us right now in Jesus name amen